Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Okay, I'm going to check out.
Hello? All right, let's let's try this. Thank you. Okay. I'm I'm still hearing a bunch of background noise on your end, though. Well, too bad. Darren's awake and he pays the bill. That's what he says. Anyway, next. So anyway, um, I'm guessing our guest is on hold here. Um, So real quick before we uh, go ahead and. Start off. We're going to have our annual Katie What I Did on My Summer Vacation <laughs> report because uh, there's been a few things that have been happening uh, up in uh, Toronto this weekend. Uh, there were a few shows by this uh, little independent company Did called WWE, but then uh, but then there were some important shows. Uh, I know Progress was there on uh, Friday. Whoa. You pissed off the man. What can I say? Anyways, next. Uh, Okay. Hmm. Well, um, why don't you tell us what you did on your summer vacation, Katie? Just a second. Okay, what I did on my summer vacation, and everybody knows that uh, we have some very fine indie promotions here in Toronto, and my personal favorite, okay, yeah, I understand. Greek Town brought me Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, but I'm a smash girl all the way. All the way, all the way. And we had a huge all-women's card called the Summit this weekend, and it was incredible. It really was. It was a, a meet-and-greet and everything, and yeah. So I get my ass out of bed at 5.30, shit shower, shave, and polish, and get my ass on the train by around 10 after 7, meet up with Bernadette at like quarter to 8, so we were early down to Young and Eglinton in Toronto. You know where I am. And, uh, yeah, meet up with a bunch of really cool fans. You know, everybody's there for the same thing. We're all on the same wavelength, and it's it's electric, really, it is, you know. And so you walk in, and you got, you got all the – it's all girls, okay? And Volnacano. <laughs> Bernadette like dragged me over to bowl. Yeah, she dragged me over to bowl. It was okay, you know. She didn't really charge too much. It was only thirty dollars for to get. It was twenty dollars for a picture and ten dollars for a selfie. And I said, oh, this is worth it. Here's thirty bucks. And she is really, 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 really sweet. I'm not called in twice. I'm called in once. So I don't no, know. No, but uh, but somebody else is. Well, then somebody else is. And I don't know who it is. But anyways, let me get back to my report. 
which this is in my way. Okay. All right. Nobody is allowed to talk to me while I'm giving my report, and you know who you are, and I don't want to hear your voice, and I don't want you typing to me so hush. Anyways, it, it was a huge card, okay, and right after I went and met Paul Nicano, I was dragged to, back to the ring by Bernadette, and they have they have this girl, okay, she, she kind of reminds me, um, I guess you could say she's kind of like Havoc from, from Impact. She's smaller, though. And they call her Mad Max, as in, as in the Thunderdome. All that was missing was Tina Turner singing, okay? She's, she is a beast. I can't remember who she was fighting. I really can't. She, she was blonde. She was wearing something pink and sparkly, whatever. And she got her ass handed to her. So right after the match, right, because they, they gave a break to continue with the meet and greet. And I walk over to Mad Max. I looked right at her, big smile on my face, and I pointed at her, and I said, you, ma'am, are sick as fuck. I said, are you charging for selfies? She goes, not if you're going to give me a compliment like that, honey. You can have whatever you like. Okay? So. (laughs) So I take my pictures with her, and I notice, lo and behold, over in the corner is Miss Vanessa Craven. Now, we've all heard this story where uh, Vanessa Craven, um, Pretty much made my ex-girlfriend cry. Okay, yep. she was so she was so mean. She was just so mean. So I went over to her and, like I did with with uh, with Legion of Doom's animal, or as I'm allowed to call him, Joe. I didn't. I was a little more gentle with her than I was with Joe because I don't want this chick punching me in the face. Okay, she's been in the May Young Classic. I'm not messing with her. Okay. <laughs> so, Plus, you were actually want, within physical proximity of her. Yeah. Where Joe, yeah. there was a phone between you guys. Yeah, yeah. So, so I tell her, I tell her what went on. I said to her, I go, you said, you said five bucks for a selfie, and my girlfriend looked at you and said, but I don't have five bucks. And you said, well, I guess you're not getting a selfie, no, are you? And just threw her head back and laughed. And I said, looked at her and I said, you're mean. And she looked at me and she says, I know. So I told her this story, and she's just looking at me going. Oh, no, did I really make her cry? So it doesn't matter. I'm not with her anyway, so we had a laugh about it. So we go over and we tell Mad Max the same story, and me and Mad Max and Vanessa Craven have a nice big laugh about it. And then I see Jordan Grace. So I walk, her, I walk, I walk over to her. I reminded her that we did have her on our, our fine program here one time, and she's, she's done so much, and she's been so busy lately, not only with Smash. Yeah. She does other promotions as well, and she's on Impact. And she straight up told me, she goes, darling, I seriously don't remember. And I looked at her, and I said, I, and she gave me a hug, and I said, you know what? I just appreciate the fact that you didn't pay me lip service because you could have and you didn't. So, yeah. So then I ran over and I met Lefisto. I'm sending the boys pics left, right, and center, right? I ran over and met yeah. Lefisto, and, and the show starts, and, of course, it opens with Casey Spinelli versus Rosemary. And their special special guest referee was Xandra Bale. Now, that was funny, okay? Xandra's trying to keep Rosemary in line, okay? Because Spinelli came down first, and everybody's cheering her, and I'm like, yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm not here to see you. No, I'm not here to see you. So, yeah. I'm just like, okay, so bring down Rosemary. You know, I'm on my feet. I'm like the loudest one in the front row because we'll – I'm literally five feet from the ring, literally, and there's no barricade, 
Okay? So that was a match and a half. That was a match and a half. They they got Spinelli, she held her own. I will give her that. She is quite the talent. She knows what she's doing. She's great in the ring. And she's safe in the ring too. You know, um a lot of work went into the summit. It was it was incredible, but this match was my highlight, of course. And the guy next to me says, okay, because it was, it was for Smash's uh, women's championship match, right, for a belt. The guy next to me is all, you know, don't be too disappointed when Rosemary loses. And, and me and Bern- Bernadette, because we're on the either side of the guy, we're just like, yeah, just wait and see. Just wait and see. And, and Bernadette looks up at Rosemary. Rosemary looks down at Bernadette. And she says, bring it home to the hive, queen. And she just nods her head at Bernie, and off she went. Just beat the crap out of Casey Spinelli. And it was like, I, she, like, a lot of the match was in front of me and Bernie, so it was really, really good. So if it went outside the ring, we were right there. It was, it was excellent. So anyways, all of a sudden, Rosemary just turns on her and just goes nuts and just beats the ever-living crap mm-hmm. out of her. Okay, it was that damn good. It was that damn good. And then, taps, one, two, three. I look at the guy next to me. His mouth drops to the freaking ground, and his eyes bulge out of his head in disbelief that she's got the, she's got the title. And what does she do with the title, folks? <laughs> just, I can't hit, uh, just like Pete Dunn put it right between her teeth and stood up with a big smile. And let it hang from her mouth. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. It really was. And so, okay, that's, that's the first match. I've got my match list. Don't worry. All right. Oh, Nicole Matthews and Nicole Savoy. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So why don't we just that talk was... about the people that you met and certain yeah, things that, that certain people said to you? Because I think our guest is in a hold, and I don't want him okay, waiting um, too long. Okay. Okay, LaFisco was really cool. She was a sweetheart. You know, how you doing, sweetheart? Over the middle, whatever. Okay. And then, and then, and then fast forward, fast forward, fast forward to when we took our break for 20 minutes. I stood in line to see Rosemary, and there was one person ahead of us in belt time. And Rosemary was like, uh-uh. Go back to your seats. I'll see you after the show. Pats me on the head and said, you know, I don't like you, right? Go to your seat. And I'm just like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but yeah, okay. But when I did get to meet her, and the, and I showed her the pictures of us on my birthday, and she's like, and I and I said, you you responded to a message I sent you, and she says, no, we didn't. No, we didn't. We wouldn't do that. No, we wouldn't. And I'm just like, yeah, you did. She goes, well, that's highly irregular. <laughs> but yeah, she's in, in, in full character. She's uh-huh. she's incredible. But apparently we are keeping somebody waiting. Yes, I believe so. So yeah. why don't you double-check that real fast? And uh, if that yeah. is, in fact, the case, then we will go right <laughs> for it here. So Okay, well, um, then you get to be by yourself for half a second. Can you handle right. that? Not a, oh, all I right. think I can handle that. <laughs> so, all right, we'll get that. All right. So anyway, um, like I say, we will um, – we will have a show uh, tomorrow night uh, uh, bringing an old uh, friend from uh, the uh, Paragon Pro Wrestling Days, Ethan H.D. Diaz. Um, and uh, he's uh, cued us in on uh, another one of those uh, bad promoter 
type situations. And so we're going to uh, go ahead and bring him on. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a few other things. Jeff, I'm actually going to be on on a Wednesday night. Um, and I don't normally do this. Don't get used to it, folks. Um, no, and we're not going to make him wait any longer. I put him on air with us. Duke the Dumpster Drosy is here. Hey, hey, how are you? Thank you. Hi, sweetheart. I, pre- I appreciate you having me on the show. Thank you. And Chaotic okay. Katie, I must say, let me tell you, my darling, <laughs> I have to agree with everything that you said. Um, I, I knew Bull Nakano. I feel like she's okay. one of the greatest female workers the she wrestling are. industry has ever <laughs> seen. She, she worked mm-hmm. up in the World Wrestling Federation when I was there in the mid-'90s, as a matter of fact. Hey. She had some epic battles with Alundra Blaze, of oh, course, yeah. Medusa, back in those days. Yeah. But on another note, let me just say this. You brought up a name, okay. Max. Now, she goes yes. on social media, she goes by Max the Impaler. But I'm going to tell you okay. something. I know okay. Max very well. We speak often, and uh, we've talked often about the wrestling business. Mm. I've been talking to her ever since she was still in the training camp. I, I am that. one of the biggest Max Marks out there. I'm just going to tell you right now, I've got all her T-shirts. I love me some Max Impaler. So, yes, you. I, I was listening to every word you said. That was awesome. I love her. I love her. You don't even know, man. That was the first time She's I've gonna seen her. She's going to be a star. Life. She's going to be a oh star God. in the wrestling business. There's mm-hmm. no doubt. Yeah, she was sick and, oh, my God, she just threw that girl around. And ne- never mind, never mind the rag doll, okay? Empty rag doll with no sawdust, no nothing in her, okay? Just, it, it was, I was in awe. I just went, wow. But um, She's most, a power lifter. She can, she can deadlift, like, 350 pounds or more. I bet. She's very <laughs> strong, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. Sweetheart. Right, sweetheart. Wow. Oh so, yeah, God. I just wanted to say, I wanted to open up with that because I was very interested in the story you were telling. Yeah, it's okay. Well, he'll let me tell more of it as the night goes on. I know he will. But Bull Nacano, she's a sweetheart. She really is. Yeah. She's an absolute sweetheart. She went in as yeah. a And, again, I think she, yeah. 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 Go, Go ahead, ahead, honey. No, no. She, she like, like I was saying, I think she is probably one of the greatest workers in the history of the wrestling business. And mm. – she was she, when she was in the World Wrestling Federation. She was all business. I mean, she wasn't a partier. She wasn't crazy or anything like that. Uh, she kind of kept her distance from the boys a lot, but uh, she she was she was very professional. She was all business. She handled her business, and she was uh, excellent Quiet. in that ring. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Oh yeah. The the matches that her and Medusa had. Oh, those those were some those were some absolute classics. Um, in fact, of course, one of them uh, here in Chicago um, at SummerSlam, which was, of course, the opening event for uh, the United Center right after it had oh, yeah. uh, gotten completed. So, yes, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, great wow. stuff. Great stuff. Bull Nakano used so, to do this leg drop off the top rope that was amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yo, and, and of course, she was, she was, I mean, she was a, she was a much bigger girl at the time than uh, she yeah. is now. Itty from bitty the now. She's that itty she's bitty. Got. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she's but... she's little. She she was wearing platform boots. Okay, if she would have taken those platform boots off, she would have only been a little bit taller than me. Same as Jordan Grist. They're all not as tall as you think you think think you think as you would think right. they would be. Like Shotzi, Shotzi Blackheart. Oh, what a sweet girl! I want her helmet. <laughs> but I love her. She's amazing. Yeah. I spent a lot of time talking to her. I really did. She was just really nice. But Rosemary's a doll. Mephisto's a doll. Mercedes was, was really nice, too. Watch her Mercedes double fish hook Jordan Grace in the middle of the ring while, while she's got her in, in, the, in the camel clutch, old school style. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Mm. I'm telling you. And that's the thing you're seeing a lot more of. With, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with oh, the female wrestlers part. more and more these days, the wrestling ability is, you know, mm-hmm. they've come a long way, in my opinion. They've come a long way from the diva days. Um, you yeah. watch, especially on the independent scene, and even up all, all the way through WWE and other big companies, the wrestling styles that the females bring to the wrestling game has gotten really uh, incredible, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is very impressive to see a lot of these uh, girls coming up through the business and the things that they're doing. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yep. but Canadian girls, let me tell you, our Canadian girls are something else. They really are. They're just something else. And and like you oh. said, the women are being allowed and being given license nowadays to do more than they were ever. And there's, there's no more bikini matches. There's no more lingerie matches. There's no more pillow fights. And that was degrading. And, and I'll be honest, I hated it. Okay, I may okay, I may have an appreciation for women, and I may have loved a few women, but watching that was worse than going to the strip club. Do you know yeah, what I mean? the old uh, Vince Russo booking days, of course. Yeah, yeah. awful. <laughs> it was it was yeah. terrible. Gee, it all and up. Yep, that's it. It boils down again to Vince Russo. I tell oh. you, don't let him do anything. <laughs> it always comes back to Vince Russo. It's like six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but with Ke- Vince Russo. <laughs> yeah. No, Kevin exactly. Bacon. Oh God, not Kevin Bacon. Exactly. No. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Kevin yeah, Bacon. So true. Right so true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So Mike, why don't you go ahead and kind of tell us about your about your background? Well, uh, where you grew up, what type of sports you watched and participated in, you know, before you suddenly discovered this wacky world that uh, we both inhabited called professional wrestling. Yeah, I came up and I grew up in Miami, Florida. I mean, I was born in California, but I grew up the the majority of my life, I, I grew up in Miami, Florida. And I came up playing some football and I was an amateur wrestler uh, but during those years, I always watched professional wrestling. And in those days, the main wrestling available down there was championship wrestling from Florida with Gordon Soley as the announcer yeah. and, you know, Dusty Rhodes, Kevin Sullivan, oh. uh, you know, people like that. And that's what Mike I grew Graham. up. Well, Mike Graham, exactly. And that's what I grew up wow. watching. And when uh, – uh, basically, what happened when I was still in high school, the first WrestleMania uh, was presented, and you had to go to an arena and watch it on closed-circuit television because there was no pay-per-view yeah. in those days. Right. And it was WrestleMania one that made me want to become a professional wrestler. Um, oh. That's when I realized. And I started training right out of high school to become a professional wrestler, so probably when I was about 17. But, yeah, that's, that's how I started out. 
Okay. So now, um, now, now, now tell now tell me a little bit about uh, about the school that uh, that you trained at and that because uh, um, you know you were you were trained you were trained by a guy by the name of Bobby Wales. So yes, um, I was so, trained. It was in, right near Miami, Florida, called Opalaka, Florida, and. The funny thing about it is I didn't know anything about where there – I knew I wanted to be a wrestler, a professional wrestler, but I didn't know where there was any wrestling schools. But interestingly, while I was still an amateur wrestler in high school, as a fundraiser, our wrestling coach brought in the wrestlers from Championship Wrestling from Florida to do a show in our gym as a fundraiser. So I got to meet Lex Luger, Barry Windham, Dusty Rhodes. They all came – and they were in our gym doing a show, so basically the wrestlers on the wrestling team got to work security, walk, walking them to and from the ring. Well, my dad, who was also there, uh, he started asking around about schools, and there was a guy wrestling in, in championship wrestling from Florida at the time by the name of Tyree Pride, the Haitian sensation Tyree oh, Pride. Oh, yes. And, yes. And he was actually Bobby Ooh. Wales' tag partner at that time. And we found out he told us about the school that Bobby Wales was running in Opelika. So I immediately went up, and it was just a ring in a dirty little warehouse. That's all it was. There wasn't much there. Um, and there was probably four other guys that were being trained. And one of the guys that was being trained at my school was Norman Smiley. So, and they called him Black Magic oh, wow. in those days. But, yeah, it was me, Norman Smiley, this big muscle-bound dude named Joe, and a couple other guys. And, you know, there wasn't many people, but Bobby was a really good teacher. And uh, probably about after six months of training with him, I was able to wrestle in my first show. And it was actually for (laughs) the AWA after the Savoldis kind of bought it out and it became AWA ICW. And they still okay. had a lot of the AWA. They still had a lot of the AWA wrestlers, like Nick Bockwinkel and Larry Zabisco and Boris Zukov. And uh, oh wow! My my first match was in the Davie, Florida Rodeo Arena. <laughs> I was clueless, and I wrestled a guy. Uh, his name was Teddy, and Teddy Daniels, I think, is what his name was. But his wrestling name, I think, might have been Johnny Blaze. It was so long ago, but uh, I was clueless, and it's funny because I just, the one thing I remember about it was me and this guy, Teddy, were talking over the match out behind the locker room, and Nick Bockwinkel came out, and he said, are you guys wrestling each other? And we were like, yes, sir, we are, and he goes, well, why don't you go in the locker room and talk over your match? There's fans sitting right over there watching you, and he just basically dressed us down and yelled at us in front of everybody. So that was my first wrestling experience, uh, K, you know, about kayfabe, my first experience learning about kayfabe and, and all that good stuff. But, yeah, that was my – that's how I came uh, up through the school, and that's where my first wrestling match actually was with the AWA after it had been bought out. Wow. 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 Yeah. I, I, was, I was lucky because um, my trainer was uh, Sam Vicero, Windy City Wrestling in Chicago. And he also, right. uh, he did some, he did, he did some, I mean, he worked, he worked for uh bruiser in Indianapolis. He also did some uh, job work for, uh, for Vern for TV and that. And so um, one of my, one of my first, uh, our big show 
every year was called Battle of the Belts. And my first one, when I was, you know, before I actually started training, I was doing ringside photography and that. I kind of got, I kind of came up the cornet way. Um, we had Nick Bockwinkle on it and Angelo Poffo and Lanny. And so right. I got to, so I got to, I got to, I got to pick Nick Bockwinkle's brain for the better part of a day. And I, I treasure that because I mean, the stuff that that man could teach you just by talking to you for exactly. 20 minutes, 30 minutes now was probably more than a lot of uh, teachers could actually teach you doing ring work and that. Oh, well, yeah. And if you think about it, that's where a lot of the stuff is learned in the wrestling business. If you ever heard, have you ever heard Stone Cold Steve Austin talk about the car rides he used to take when he was working in Memphis, Tennessee, and he would just sit back and listen to the other guys in the car talk about the business. That's where a lot of stuff is learned, just by listening mm-hmm. to the older guys, the veterans, talk about the business and talk about ring psychology. And that's how you learn a lot of things in the business. That's how it used to be, at least. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm. I. I. So I've been. I've been very fortunate with the guys that I've gotten to be friends with over the years and that, um, you know, I've done, oh man, well, my bet, probably my best night car ride in a blizzard in the, in the front seat next to me is my longtime friend and I miss him, King Kong Bundy. Oh yeah. In the back seat, the barbarian. Oh, Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and so just, you know, so, you know, so I'm, you know, so I'm, I'm having to try and you know, having to contact the hotel, trying to get my, get directions. It's a, it's a blizzard and that and it's, and this is back in the days of those old, remember those old big gray cell phones that uh, we used to have the yeah, Motorola the with the LED numbers and that. The, yep. uh, the bricks. Yeah. The huge bricks with the antenna. Yeah. yeah. The bricks. So I'm, so I'm talking with them on I that at the one. same time. One. At the same time, Bundy and, and uh, Barbie were sitting back swapping stories and stuff. Man, that was like that was like probably one of the best experiences I've had as a you know as a as a referee worker, you know in in my entire career. It's just. It's it's one of those things that yeah, like you say, it's the you know the car rides where where you really get uh, the know how and that. I, and Bundy yeah. was just a funny son of a bitch overall. Anyway, he was funny as <laughs> oh, hell. Oh God, yes. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, he he could he could crack he could crack you up. Uh, with with a with a one liner, you know. Quicker than quicker than you knew what hit you, and that he spoke fluent sarcasm. That's for sure. Indeed, he did. Indeed, he did. Oh, oh man, it was so funny because um, one of the um, one of the first shows I worked with him, it was him, Coco Beware, and uh, Chris Chavis Tatanka, and. We're and we're downstairs in the basement of the, of the grandstand of the racetrack, 
the three the three of us talking over and Bundy saying to Coco, You're going over tonight, I owe you and Coco's like, No, no, you're going over tonight <laughs> going back and forth and it was it was hilarious. Finally, you know, Coco says, Yeah, okay, okay, fine. You 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 know, I'll I'll go over and then and then after then after Bundy gets up and leaves, he goes he goes and gets in my ear and he says, No, no. That's not how it's going to happen. I'm I'm putting him over, and that it was it was it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gotta love that. Gotta love that stuff. So okay, so okay. you so you were so you were working on the on the uh, scene down scene down there in Florida, and that. How did you first get the attention of? Vince McMahon or whatever WWF scout saw you and said, all right, we got to sign this guy. Well, what I had done is I, after I initially started in the business down there in Florida and did some tours in the Caribbean and stuff with some independents, um, at the same time I was going to college at the university of Miami. And uh, so I was going to college full time and wrestling part time. And the plan was, once I graduated college, I was going to get in my car and drive across the country and go to each of these territories that still existed and get a job. And uh, so what I did is I put together a bunch of promotional packages with, you know, back then it was VHS tapes and a resume right. and pictures. And uh, I made a bunch of these. Pa- I, mean, I, I must have had 30 of them made. And um Right after I graduated from college, I was still working. I was working at this, like, beach club on Key Biscayne where rich people, you know, that own houses, they could come out and lay on the beach on a private a private beach. And uh, so yeah. I was working there at, like, a night watchman. Anyway, I was getting ready to quit that job because, like I said, I was going to get in the car and drive across the country and hand these promo packages to promoters. And I was reading the paper on one of my last days at that job, and it said there was a – Television executive convention in the Miami Beach Convention Center at that time. It's called the Natsi Convention, and uh, mm-hmm. it was during the beginning of it was during the steroid scandal, and Hulk Hogan had just joined WCW, and wow. the people in the paper in the newspaper article had interviewed Hulk Hogan about what he was doing and the scandal and all that, mm-hmm. and the last sentence on the article said. Vince McMahon, who was also in attendance, had no comment. And I realized at that moment, obviously, that Vince McMahon was in the Miami Beach Convention Center for that convention. And it was there all week. So I found out that one of the rich people from the beach club was actually a TV executive from Channel 2 in Miami, and he had credentials to get into this convention because you had to have credentials. So I put on a suit. I took his credentials, and I crashed the convention. And I walked in, and I walked (laughs) right up to Vince McMahon, and I introduced myself. I handed him a promotional package. I told him I wanted to work for him, and he asked me a couple questions, and then I got the hell out of there. And they called (laughs) – J.J. Dillon called me a week later. That's how I got Oh, my God. Wow. Holy cow. And oh, nobody yeah. ever, oh. no, nobody could ever walk up to Vince after that. They put in safeguards oh. to protect against it. Because before me, it was uh, Oscar from Men on a Mission. He rapped 
to Vince yeah. in an elevator somewhere in New York. And then me, I just walked right up to him and told him I wanted a job. So, But after that, they started kind of making sure people couldn't just walk right up to Vince. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how I got my job, man. Oh, wow. my gosh. Wow. That's, that's wow. wild, isn't it, Katie? Holy cow. It's more than wild. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, I figured I had so, to do something because I didn't. I didn't have a brother or an uncle that worked in the business, and uh-huh. I had to get in somehow. Exactly. And like getting I said, I was problem. I was getting ready to drive across the country and hand out my promotional packages. Well, I handed out two. I handed one to George the Animal Steel at a house show, and then like I said, I found out Vince was in town like a couple weeks later. And the second one I handed to Vince McMahon, and that was it. Oh my gosh, that's bad. That is just that is just too cool. That is and I still have that promotional that tape. I still have that <laughs> promo tape, and it's on my social media. People, uh, I posted it on my Facebook page cool. so people could watch it. Yeah. Also, 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 look that up, Mike. That 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 sounds that sounds really cool. So, oh, holy cow! That's that's wild. That's wild. So, um. So then, so then, um, the so then the the character itself, because now I know for a while that uh, some of the some of the uh, characters that Vince was putting in were offshoots of uh, what some of these guys actually had done in real life. Um, I guess I guess at one point uh, uh, Tony Anthony had been a plumber, and so the you know former Dirty White Boy became T.L. Hopper in that. But uh, you had done, you had done uh, apparently at, at some, at some point you had done a gimmick called Garbage Man. Now, um, so how, so how did this all, you know, translate turning, oh, uh, Mike Rosey and um, Garbage Man into Duke the Dumpster Drozzy. Well, I I knew at that point, you know, when I was still kind of wrestling part-time in Florida and finishing college, you know, mm-hmm. I was watching the World Wrestling Federation. I was watching the product, and I could see the characters they were putting on TV and what Vince was basically trying to sell. And down in Florida, I had come up with the character – the Garbage Man Rocco Gibraltar. And that was my name in Florida. The Garbage Man Rocco Gibraltar. And I wrestled for months and months, maybe even like a year I wrestled. And that whole time I was wearing the same exact gimmick that Duke the Dumpster wore. And I taped everything I did so that I could eventually put together that promo tape. Um, But yeah, then... It was like a natural. That's one of the things I think Vince, one of the reasons Vince McMahon jumped on it because it was one of those cartoonish characters that was like a blue collar worker that the people could get behind. And it just kind of fell right into the scheme of things, the way they were doing it in the World Wrestling Federation at that time. So he mm-hmm. jumped on it. And when they brought me in, funny thing, uh, I went around town taping my, what they called vignettes. You know, this is Duke right. Dumpster. I'm coming soon to the World Wrestling Federation. And I taped a lot of them off the back of a garbage truck or at the dump in Stamford, Connecticut. 
And the interesting thing about that is the person who produced my vignettes, who I rode around in his Corvette with that morning at 6 a.m. in the freezing cold, was Shane McMahon. Shane McMahon oh produced – he was – he was like 23 years old at the time. He was working his way around all the different parts of the company, you know, getting to uh-huh. know how to do everything. And at that point, he was working in the studio. So he produced all my vignettes and stuff. All, a lot of that stuff you saw, he came up with. And when I sat down with him at the office and we were talking about it, he said they had come up with a new name for me because obviously for licensing purposes and, you know, intellectual property, they want to be able to own that part of the character. So they named right. me Duke the Dumpster Drosy, and Drosy is my real last name. For the, right. for the sake of alliteration, it, it became Duke the Dumpster Drosy. And that Shane McMahon was the, told me, the one that told me that was my new name. And the gimmick basically stayed the same. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. So now, okay, so now that leads, that leads me to another question because um, uh, I, I've, know, I've, known, uh, I've known Dustin Rhodes for uh, several years, and he talked about um, when they did the Goldust vignettes, especially the ones at the Oscars, because at that time, um, of course, you know, Nobody, nobody really knew who Vince McMahon and the WWF were, and that. So they kind of had to sneak in, uh, with the security guards not looking, so they could do all the red carpet stuff and that. Did you guys have to sneak onto the, onto the trucks and into the dump to uh, get uh, to get your segments filmed? Actually, what we did it was interesting because. I, I, I don't know. I guess Shane set it up because we went out on the streets of Stanford, Connecticut, and just caught a garbage truck that was right in the middle of its regular uh, route. And every so often it would stop, and I'd jump up on the back, and we would pull it forward or pull it back, and I'd jump off, and I'd cut my promo. And then we'd let them go do a couple more blocks, and we'd meet them two or three blocks over, and we'd do another promo, and that's how we did that. And then, of course, we went to the dump, and I just climbed up in this huge heap of trash and, and cut promos up there. But that's how we did it. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Shane set it up. We didn't just show up on the street one day and ask these guys to let us use the truck. They were more than willing, uh, so I'm pretty sure it was set up. But that's how we did it. <laughs> that's interesting. Wow. That's very interesting. That is. That is. Um you 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 miss how you miss Sean how he how he got it how he got himself uh, signed here. Um, so, but Mike, go ahead go ahead if you don't mind relay that one real real quick again so that Sean can kind of get uh, caught up on that because well, just I, that's that's that yeah that that story that story right there is so cool in and of itself. Sorry. When I was when I was uh, trying to break into the business, uh, I was wor- I was finishing college and I knew I didn't have any friends or relatives in the business, so I had to find a creative way to get in the front door. And what I had done is there was actually a television executive convention in Miami Beach at the convention center, and um, 
a friend uh, from where I worked who was a member at this, this beach club I was working at was a TV executive, and he had credentials, and he let me borrow them so I could just walk right into the convention. And I walked right in wearing a suit with a little briefcase, walked right up to Vince McMahon, and introduced myself, shook his hand. He saw the credentials. I think he thought I was an executive at first. So he was really happy to talk to me, and then he realized, okay, I was a wrestler, and I was pitching him, but he was still <laughs> real nice to me. And I pitched him for about 30 or 45 seconds, told him who I was, I wanted to work for him, and asked him to take my promotional package, which he was happy to take. And um, he asked me a couple questions, and that was it. I got the hell out of there. And the funny thing about it is also when I was leaving, uh, right across the walkway was the booth for WCW. I didn't stop at WCW. I just kept walking because I had a feeling he was probably going to watch to see if I went to WCW to uh-huh. pitch them, and I didn't. I just kept going, and I walked out the door. And anyway, they Vince had J.J. Uh, uh, Dillon. About a week later, J.J. Dillon called me to bring me up for a tryout because J.J. was the head of talent relations at that time. So, yeah, that's right. kind of how I got my foot in the door. Now, uh, <laughs> you started – you started in '94, uh, and one of your first feuds you would have with a guy that's uh, pretty famous around the Memphis, Tennessee area, a guy by the name of Jerry the King Lawler. Yeah, I just remember I was I had just come in and uh, I didn't really know how things worked, and I was riding in a rental car at that TV taping with Adam Baum and Bob Holly. And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know what was going to happen. And we just kind of walked in and got ready for TV. And they kind of explained to me what was going on at the last second. And it was that deal where I walked out for my first match, my first TV match against a guy named Mike Bell. And as I was walking out, Jerry the King Lawler was standing off to the side with a microphone like he wanted to interview me. And as I passed by, I stopped to talk to Jerry the King Lawler he said, hold on, hold on. And he turned around and he got a clothespin and stuck it on his nose because I stunk too bad for him to interview me. So he insulted me by putting a clothespin <laughs> on his nose. So I took my garbage can full of garbage and I dumped it over his head. And yep. <laughs> that's what started the feud. And then a couple, I think probably a week later, they had on Live Raw, they did a King's Court and Jerry the King Lawler brought me out as his guest and he would not let me get in the ring and he would not let me talk. And I finally got fed up with him and uh, I told him I didn't want to talk to a stinking piece of trash like him anyway. And I turned to walk away and on live television, he ran up behind me and attacked me and hit me with my own garbage can. Now, the funny thing about that was, me and Lawler beforehand talked about it, and he he kind of brought it up. He goes, you know, we could kind of fire this up a little bit if, if I hit you with the can or something when I attack you. And I said, that's fine with me. I'll do it. So we basically went and just asked Jack Lanza, who was the agent for that segment, and uh-huh. Jack Lanza just kind of Jack Lanza just kind of looked at me and he goes to hell with it it's live tv just go ahead and do it so we went out there and we did it and uh i just remember when i got back to the to the lock to the back gorilla position everybody was freaking out uh shane mcmahon ran up he goes what the hell happened 
and uh, the agents were all scurrying around, and people were, like, pissed off. And uh, apparently it was deemed too violent for WWF television at that uh, time. That's what I'm reading here. It was one of the first instances of hardcore wrestling on WWF Monday Night Raw. Mm -hmm. And it was so hardcore, in fact, that they immediately, at that time, Gorilla Monsoon and the Macho Man Randy Savage were doing the commentary for Raw at that time. And they came right out on live TV. Right after that segment, they came on and, and... Gorilla Monsoon just apologized up and down. He's like, we are so sorry that that happened. You will never see something that violent happen on the WWF again. (laughs) Once again, we apologize. And they apologized up and down. And uh, that wasn't bad enough. (laughs) The next week, they had Jerry the King Lawler come out on Superstars uh, on a pre-taped interview where he was made to apologize to me for attacking me. And I and I was like, you just totally killed all the heat. It was, <laughs> right. they, they threw a bucket of ice water on it. It was dead. And from that point on, it just went downhill. And what should have been a really hot match for a, for a pay-per-view ended mm-hmm. up, we did the blow-off on like a Monday Night Raw where I had Dink the Clown in the garbage can and Doink and Dink were outside the ring and they, they basically got into it and interfered and they... They got in a fight with Jerry the King Lawler, and he went off on a feud with them after that, and that was the end of Duke the Dumpster versus Jerry the King Lawler. Um, now, you're, you're wow. wrestling in about 1994, 1995, and this is right around the time that this very controversial man by the name of James E. Cornette started with the company. Uh, talk to us about uh, Corny and your interactions Corny with Cornette. Cornette. Yeah, I was like Jim Cornette, and uh, I just, I love listening to his podcast now. I'll tell you that. Um, but Cornette was, you could tell, he he loved old school, the old school mentality. And there was a lot of things, the wrestling business during those years was changing. And, and you could see a lot, in a lot of ways, it bothered Jim Cornette. He didn't like some of the ways that they did things up there in the World Wrestling Federation. Um, it was just different philosophies. Um, but but Jim was always very professional. Cornette was wo- always very professional. Um, you know, he always protected his guys. I remember I wrestled Vader on a, a Monday Night Raw match, and we were trying to put together the match. And, you know, Vader, d- Jim Cornette basically didn't want me to body slam Vader. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Of course I could slam Vader. Well, you know, they wanted him to stay real strong. And, uh, right. So, yeah, they didn't want me to slam it. I always found that very interesting. But, you know, Cornette was just protecting the guy that he was a manager for because that kept his position strong. If he keeps his wrestler strong, that keeps his position as a manager strong. So that makes sense. But, yeah, that was mm-hmm. – but but uh, I always respected Cornette, and, and I still, like I said, I love listening to him now, man. And he goes off. Oh, yeah. Whether I agree oh, with I him or I don't agree with him, it's – it's always entertaining. It is. And, and I tell you <laughs> what, that man, uh, we had him on this show a couple oh of years God. ago. We did a roast of his friend, Kenny Bolin. And uh, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever had so many F-bombs in one program. Between him and Kenny <laughs> Bolin, it was probably, the F-word was probably dropped a thousand times. I mean, I thought I said the F-word a lot. Let's just say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, Duke, uh, 
just because the question has arose from our fans, what uh, what made you never pursue going to WCW after your time in WWF? I actually did, and and not many people know this, but there is a a dark match floating out around there on in the internet world somewhere. Matter of fact, I, I have a copy of it on my Facebook page. Somebody found. See, I told a story about this, and somebody actually found the match. I wrestled in a dark match, and I was wearing a singlet, and it was a tryout, but. The thing about WCW was after I left the World Wrestling Federation, I had like eight months left on my contract, and uh, I just waited it out. And when it was done, I I did kind of the same thing I did with Vince McMahon. Uh, I was living up in Orlando at that time, and WCW was doing a Nitro in Tampa, and I put on a suit. And I walked my happy ass right in the back door <laughs> into the locker room. Like I was wrestling on that show, and nobody nobody questioned me. I mean, I just walked right in. And it's funny. I've told this story before. It's interesting. The psychology of the backstage area, this was the perfect example. Because when I walked in wearing that suit, it was amazing. All the wrestlers that came up to me and shook my hand and were so happy to see me and were so fucking polite to me. And then, like, two days later, I came back because J.J. asked me to come back. I went back to a show that I think it was like Saturday night or thunder they were doing in like Lakeland, Florida. And I showed up and by that point, everybody realized that nobody had brought me in. I just showed up on my own and it, it was amazing how the demeanor of a lot of the guys changed and they weren't so nice to me all of a sudden. And they, you know, they weren't running up, shaking my hand. Um, so I always found that to be interesting. Um, but, yeah, I just walked in and crashed the damn Nitro, just like I did the convention with Vince. And, um, and I talked to J.J., and they eventually brought me in for a tryout, and it was it was freaking horrible. Um, I wrestled this guy that apparently was really green, and he screwed up a spot, and I immediately started pounding on him and kicking him. And after that point, Arn Anderson called me Crowbar, and I realized – I probably didn't have a good showing in that tryout match. So I never got hired there, and then I just kind of went off into oblivion. But, yeah, I actually had a tryout with WCW, very short-lived. Yeah, I wrestled one match on a dark match at a Nitro, yes. Um, Were you ever contacted by Paul Heyman to go to ECW? No, never contacted by him. But, you know, it's funny that at that point in the wrestling business, um, the boys really didn't respect what ECW was doing. Now the fans were going crazy for it because it was this new hybrid of, of professional wrestling with so much more realism to it and the hardcore aspect of it. But the boys mm-hmm. in those days didn't respect th- that way of wrestling, that style of wrestling, because we knew – you know, anybody that's been in a wrestling ring can tell you, if you watch that stuff in the early days from ECW, we knew they were killing each other and killing themselves. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. you're oh, not yeah. going to have longevity. So I never really even considered going to ECW. Um, and, of course, I, I started kind of going off the rails myself personally, so I really wasn't. After WCW fell through, and I actually went back for another WWF tryout. They made me try out again, but I, I wanted to go back, but they made me try out again, and that was a disaster. But um, after all that went down, I was pretty much done. 
I just went and buried my head in the sand and disappeared from the wrestling business for probably the next, well, until WrestleMania 17, but, and then I really disappeared. But yeah, it was, that's kind of how that all went down. But no, I never went to, tried to go to ECW. Mm. Um, there's a guy that you had a, we're in a stable with from ECW uh, that uh, Axel Rotten, when we had him on, was very high of, and that was the guy by the name of Pack Myers. Yeah, I knew Hack Myers down in Florida. I just found out recently, I didn't even know that he had passed away. Um, but, you know, another yeah. one of those casualties of the wrestling business. But Hack was a great dude. I met him after he and I both were done. He was done with ECW, and I was done where I was wrestling. And we started working for – well, I went back to work for the same independent promotion that I worked for before I went to the WWF. I went back and re- started wrestling for them some – but that didn't even last very long. But that's where I met Hack Myers. Um, but I was so clueless about the business. I didn't know. I didn't even realize at that point he had been from uh, in ECW. And I had to go back and look at some of his tape and stuff like that. But, yeah, Hack Myers was a great dude, though. Mm, yeah. Yeah, we did a tribute show that night. And um, a, lot of the, a lot of the ECW guys that uh, we've gotten to know, called in and they were telling such great stories and every and every one of them I mean you know, not a not a bad word about about him between the bunch of them they just all thought he was just well one of the greatest guys around and that um, and he was I agree with that he was um Duke, do you watch today's current product at all or no? Not much. Uh, I probably see, I see more about it on social media than I actually – I don't have, like, the WWE network or – Right. I, mean, I don't even have television at this point. I don't have cable TV. Everything I watch is usually on the Internet, and it's usually replays on – on YouTube or something like that where they'll replay a match or something, but I do not kind of keep up with a lot of the wrestling business in real time. Uh, no, I don't. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's the thing. Some people step away from the business and there's an old saying that this business will eat you alive if you let it, because it's an addiction. Um, but there, there are people like yourself that, that do find a way out of it and, and can, dabble in it without completely going over head over heels in it again and um you know there's yeah there's i'm just been... having fun you know what I, I i'm just having fun with it this time i i did get lost man for a long time and it did eat me alive and that is very true and this business it is an addiction um people don't realize the power of walking out through those curtains every night and getting a response from a huge crowd of people. That is like a drug. And when it's all yep. of a sudden snatched away in an instant, that is what pushes so many guys over the edge and they start doing all the drugs and things like that. And I was one of them, but um, I was very lucky. I survived. Uh, I, I saw, I saw Rikishi at uh, WrestleCon not too long ago and he just, he he saw me and he goes, yeah, brother, we made it, man. We're still here. We made it. He just kept saying that. And it's so true, even though he never had any crazy problems. But his, his point was, we've lost a lot of guys from this business and um, in different yeah. ways. And 
you know, if you've survived, if you went through any of the craziness like I did and you survived, you got to consider yourself lucky. And I do. And because of that, what I'm doing nowadays, I don't take myself too seriously. I have fun with it. I'm enjoying interacting with the fans on social media. Um, it's fun now. I'm not caught up in trying to be rich and famous like I was the first time around, and I thought everybody owed me something. That's not, that's not how it is anymore. You know, I know that the fun I'm having with it now, it could be gone tomorrow. Eventually it will be gone, and that's fine. I'm cool with that. But I am trying to have fun with it now. I'm enjoying it. I'm having fun doing shows like this, doing podcasts. I'm having fun seeing my old friends at conventions, the guys that I used to work with. So, yeah, I'm just trying to enjoy it these days. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you and Rikishi had that uh, conversation because um, after uh, after one of the uh, recent um, passings and that um, – you know, you talk about you talk about uh, Greg Gerard Oscar from uh, Men on a Mission, uh, who I happen we've we've had him on our show, and so I've gotten to become pretty good friends with him. In fact, I owe him a phone call. So, uh, guys, remind me I need to call him up uh, maybe sometime tomorrow just for the heck. But but uh, we were texting each other uh, after after one of the after one of the guys passed away, and he. He he gave me he sent me this message and it and it's 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 haunted me to this day. He said he said to me, "We're becoming an endangered species, brother." And it's like, yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, there's you know, a lot of truth to that. I'll have to agree. There's a lot of truth to that. A lot of the guys that worked in those eras, whether it was the '80s and the '90s or into the 2000s. <clears throat> Um, before it became a publicly traded company with all these, you know, different, uh, I don't know, they, they've got the wellness plan now and they put guys through rehab and they they take all these steps to make sure nobody goes down that path anymore. But when we were there, and Austin says this too, it was the Wild West days, and it was, man, it was – in a lot of ways, it was like the Wild West. We were kind of on our own to figure a lot of this stuff out, um, and there was a lot of self-medicating going on, whether it was drugs or alcohol or both. Um, we had to take care of our own bodies. There were no staff doctors in the locker room to take care of anybody. We would fix wow. each other's backs. and There was a lot of guys that are – a lot of wrestlers that I would say were – could have been great chiropractors because of the way they worked with, on each other because uh, we had to, you know, it, it wasn't like it is now, you know, it wasn't this big billion dollar entertainment conglomerate. It was a lot smaller in those days. <laughs> so uh-huh. we had to kind of figure Duke, a lot of this stuff out on our own. Duke, if you would talk to us about the industry kind of falling on its ass in 1995, because you listen to Jim Cornette and go back and talk about the year 1995 and brother that was one of the most horrible times in the wrestling business until nitro came onto the scene that vince had seen since he'd taken over from his dad yeah i mean the wrestling business changed it changed a lot with especially with the steroid scandal and the sex scandals that were going on uh with a relation to certain people in the world wrestling federation um I mean, a lot of that stuff got 
I mean, Vince didn't get convicted in 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 court or anything. And but during that time, a lot of the fans were turned turned off to the World Wrestling Federation product, and a lot of the big name wrestlers started jumping ship, and they started going to WCW because they felt that Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation were not going to be able to bounce back from that. But there was a series of uh, probably three or four years that were really bad in there. We, they called it the new generation era, <laughs> and it was bad. Um, mm. You know, I've often yeah. talked about how bad the payoffs were. I actually got a check from a Canada check, as a matter of fact, one time oh. that uh, – because of the payoff, because of how low the payoff was and the fact that I took a draw that night, a cash draw, I got a check at home in the mail from the World Wrestling Federation for a dollar ninety nine Canadian. Oh my god. And oh I wish god. to this day I wish hey, to this shit? day I had put that in a frame. But uh, <laughs> that was how that was how that's how the payoffs were. I mean you could take each night a $200 draw for road expenses in cash, and it got to a point where it was so bad in the World Wrestling Federation that guy, guys knew, looking at the houses and certain buildings when we were wrestling by the crowd, if they should take their draw or not, because if they didn't take their draw, they wouldn't get any pay, because that's how bad the payoffs were um, for quite a while. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a rough time, man. There was just you know, there was a not a lot of people making a lot of money during those years. Nope. Um, wow. Let's let's take this uh, interview back a little ways. Let's say that Duke the Dumpster Drosy had uh, walked into a Jim Crockett promotion in its time, or in its prime, rather. What do you feel that you could have offered Jim Crockett promotions that they didn't have? A Jim mm. Crockett promotion. So you're talking about t- before Ted Turner bought him out. And all that. That's correct. That's correct. Um, you know, I I always considered myself a good, solid wrestler, and I could wrestle with anybody. Um, and I definitely always moved really well for a big guy. Um, so, in terms of what they were missing, I, you know, I don't know. I was so young when Crockett Promotions was still in business. Um, I would have loved to just been able to break in there as a younger kid. I mean, you know, uh, right. I was probably 18, 19 years old when they were still in business. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, what could I have added that they didn't have? I don't know, man. They had a pretty solid roster, man. They had, they even had amateur wrestlers up and down the card. They had right. a lot of old school guys. They had all those NWA guys. So, you know, but yeah, I would I, love I think, to wrestle for them. I think I think there would have been a lot of interesting matchups that we would have seen um, with a lot of different colorful individuals, be it the, the jobber guys that WCW used a lot from back in Jim Crockett times that, you know, went on to be famous a couple of years later, like it's on thing. Um there, there was just so I wouldn't, much. I, I definitely would not have been the garbage man or Duke the Dumpster in Crockett Promotions. They didn't do no. any of that stuff, really. No, they did not. And and it would have been, you know, um, if I had to, if I had to take a WCW version of you, I would have to say the WCW version of you would have been Bunkhouse Buck, because right. Buck was as nasty as they came, 
and he he meant business. I'll still go back and watch some classic Bunkhouse Buck matches. Man, some of those are brutal. They're they're downright brutal. And yeah, and I know, think the dumpster was a brawler. He was a brawler with a with a a good set of power moves in the arsenal. Um, I had you know I stole a lot of stuff from from guys like Arn Anderson and. And I stole uh, Road Warrior Animals Power Slam. He had the best Power Slam in the business. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh yeah! And I just took a lot. Of, I took a lot of power moves from some of the biggest names, and, and I put my own spin on it. But yeah, I was a brawler slash power move guy. Um, but I could come off the ropes too. That was the thing. So, that was, and I uh, remember that. I'm only 28, but I I was a 90s kid, so I remember Duke very fondly and. And and the garbage promos and and you just dominating whoever you were in the ring with. Now there was one person that we didn't get to see you face in the WWE that this would have been a very interesting matchup. Um, and, and and you didn't even have to do it as his main gimmick match, but you versus the Undertaker. Those you two big guys. You're both both over well over six foot, both well over three hundred pounds. Your build weight. That would have been entertaining. That would have been two gigantuans going at it. They didn't need Kane. They needed a guy like you to come in there and face the Undertaker before they even considered well, Kane. I would have had great matches and a great program with the Undertaker, but I will say this: uh, the mentality of the wrestling business at that time was still black and white, good versus evil, baby faces and heels, and we were both right. baby faces at that time. Um, so they kind of drew a very distinct line between baby faces and heels, and there wasn't much crossover like like baby face versus baby face right. matches or and they 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 kept it pretty separate at that time, so you know a large part of the time I was there, I mean Taker was a baby face, and Duke the dumpster was a baby face uh, right there was one time they were talking about turning me heel, but it never came to fruition. They were going to make me a heel, but it just didn't happen so. Talk to mm. us about that. What what would a Duke the Dumpster Drosy look like as a heel? Well, you think I was a brawler as a babyface? I would have been an even rougher <laughs> brawler as, as, a, oh, as a heel. As a matter of fact, there's a match out there uh, in the internet world uh, where I kind of had a tryout as a heel. It was interesting that it was during that time when um, when Bill Watts came in to do some of the booking. And he wanted to see me wrestle as a heel. So what we did is they, they put me in a TV match with Marty Jannetty. And we started off as a babyface, babyface match. But he out-wrestled me, and I got frustrated, and I turned heel during the match. And the crowd reacted great. They booed me. <laughs> they booed the hell out of me. But they never ended up going any further with it. And then down the road – they were still talking about what they wanted to do. They had an idea is they wanted, this is before Austin came in. They wanted to make me Ted DiBiase's protege. Um, and they were going to turn me heel and join me with Ted DiBiase as my manager. And what they started doing, they actually started this and there's, there's tapes of this too. Um, I wrestled in a match versus Steve Dahl or Steve Dunn from well done at the time. And I beat him, and after the match, my garbage can got spilled, and the garbage fell out, and there was a $100 bill in there. And that's how they were going to set up the angle. 
slowly but surely I was going to find money in the garbage and Ted DiBiase was going to find ways to bribe me and bring me over to his corporation. And again, and they even did a big article in the magazine talking about, you know, me and my career and the way things were going. And I was getting frustrated. And at the very end of the article in the WWF magazine, there was a picture of me at a photo shoot and I was standing there. They were taking my pictures and I was in a suit, like a uh, business suit. And you could see Ted DiBiase peeking around the corner in the picture. So it was kind of leaving open like the possibility that Duke was going to sell out and, and, you know, become a heel, but it never, again, it never happened. They just, they just quit doing it. So Um, that was me becoming a heel. You were you were around during this time. Talk to us about the importance of the WWE magazine and how how fans looked to that as, as the inside scoop as to what was going on behind the scenes in the WWF at the time. Because we don't have that these days. The w, well, and it, of course it was still WWF then, but the WWF magazine at that time, the editor was Vince Russo. And... Yep. It was transitioning from a total kayfabe magazine where the people writing for the magazine actually wrote the the entire stories without actually talking to wrestlers. They came up with storylines of their own, and they created quotes from wrestlers on their own. But what Russo started doing is he came up with these great ideas but he would actually interview the wrestlers too and let them put their character behind it. And that's how he would create. So it started kind of that transition into a more realistic kind of halfway shoot uh, interview process with the magazine. And that in large part is what made Vince McMahon bring Vince Russo into the creative team as a writer because he, I, the way I heard it is, he was sitting there. I think it was Pat Patterson and Cornette and 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 uh, Bruce Pritchard, and he held up the magazine and he goes, "This is what I want in my on my shows." He slammed the magazine on the table, and uh, Russo was in there, and that's the day that they he decided to bring Russo into the creative meetings. Um, so that was how it changed things. When they finally took off the gloves during the Monday Night Wars and they started coming up with more ideas that were based on stuff that Russo came up with in his magazine. So that's how it changed it. Mm. Okay. Okay. Huh. Wow. That explains um, a lot of stuff right there. Duke, I want to ask you about somebody that uh, a lot of guys – in the wrestling business, they get in and they make fun of him because he was he was the biggest man that wrestling had seen in the in the last probably two decades besides the Haystack Calhoun. But talk to us about the importance of Yokozuna. Uh, Yokozuna was a great dude, Rodney. Uh, he was a trip man, and he he was very well respected. You know, he's one of them Samoans that you know. Any of them island people you don't mess with. But uh, Yokozuna, he was well-respected with good reason because he had a good head for the business. He had great psychology. He was a great heel. And he even wrestled babyface a little bit for a while. 
and right. he moved like a freaking gazelle in the wrestling ring. He could move. The way he moved was amazing for his size. Um, yeah. It just told, at the end there, I just remember that he was getting so big, he was gaining so much weight, it started to affect his work, and the office wasn't looking as favorably on him anymore, and they started putting him in tag team with Owen Hart, and then they turned on him there, and then they turned him babyface, and I just remember one time he had this match with uh, Vader on TV where Vader hurt him and injured his leg, and they had to carry Yoko out on a damn forklift, and he, I do remember that. Some time off, and he was supposed to go lose weight. That's when he was taking time off. Yeah. So they did the the work the work injury so that he could leave and take time off. But apparently he wasn't very successful at losing weight, and they ended up uh, cutting him loose after a while. And things got worse. He just got bigger and bigger. I just I remember thing about, and again I loved Rodney man. He was a great dude, and he was a trip, and uh, it was always fun to be on the road with him. But I do remember one thing. I would never room with him because I've never heard – you have never heard snoring until you've heard these Samoans snore. And Yoko used to have – and he used to have to sleep sitting up, man, because he was so big, you know. He had to sleep sitting up, and, uh, man, he used to – he would just fall asleep sitting right right there on his bed. We would all be hanging out in his room drinking beers or whatever, and he'd just be sitting there, and he'd fall asleep. And, man, it was – the walls would shake <laughs> oh, snoring. My. Oh, my. But, yeah, oh. Rodney was a great dude, man. Yoko uh, was awesome. I, I was a huge <laughs> Yoko Zuna fan. And the thing about it is, you know, kids that didn't grow up in the 90s, you grew up in the 90s, and you saw him coming down to do the bonds, coming off the ropes to do the bonsai. You were devastated. You're like, he's going to yeah. – that guy's going to be flat. And and yeah, I'm glad I never had to take that move because I saw him <laughs> drop it on a. Cu- I saw him drop that some bitch on a couple enhancement wrestlers, and oh my God. he didn't break his fall. He almost killed a couple guys. He would never hurt anybody on purpose, though. There was obviously a reason. If somebody pissed him off in the locker room or somebody shot their mouth off, then oh, you were going to get hurt. And, uh, <laughs> because he was very good, he 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 didn't hurt anybody um, by accident. Let's put it that way. Uh, well, and Yoko was just you know you don't have that in today's wrestling. You have some of the you've got some bigger guys, but you don't have a guy Yoko Zuna's size going out there and doing no. what Yoko Zuna did. Because that and 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 there are so many guys that are gone from that era. I was just looking the other day, uh, and it was the anniversary of Crush's death. And I was like, man. It was like, yeah, you go I back that. and I remember at, that, too. You go back and look at some of that classic footage, and you're like, man, this guy this guy had all the tools. What happened with him? And, uh, you know, Crush was another one that good, solid worker. That guy could go out there and work. And if you don't know what the term worker is, and you're listening to my podcast, you need to go get Jim Cornette's wrestling glossary that is coming out of the definition of the terms because I don't use the term lightly. I know what it means, and therefore that's why I use it. Um, I did an an appearance not too long ago in New York, with, and and on the appearance were Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, who 
oh, nice. I, you know, we worked together in the World Wrestling Federation during those years before they jumped to WCW. Right. But um, we were all sitting around talking, and Nash was talking about how they were looking at a wrestling card from 1996, the years we were there, and how probably 80% of the guys on that wrestling card were no longer with us. Wow. It was amazing. I mean, you know, guys like Owen Hart, Yokozuna, and a bunch of those guys. And uh, it was just amazing. And it's, it's so true. You know, over the years, we've lost a lot of guys. It was just the nature of the beast, uh, the well, way the business goes sometimes. And I've only yep. been in the business since 2002. But since 2002, in the 17 years that I've been in this business, there have been so many legends that, you know, you sit down and you write a bucket list when you start into wrestling and you're like, I want to meet him. Or I, I, I want to sit down and pick his brain. And so many of the guys that were on that list were gone. Now, one of the coolest uh, things, you mentioned Vader earlier. I actually got to meet, meet Vader a couple of years ago on my birthday. And he was the coolest guy when he found out it was my birthday. Like, here's Vader, okay? He's been a star in Japan. He's been a star for WCW. He's been a star for Vince. Um, Travel the world around. And he took the time. He says, what's your name, kid? Told him my name. He signed me to a uh, personalized autograph picture. It's hanging on my wall. Happy birthday, Sean. Best wishes. And oh, I tell you oh. what. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Vader, one scary individual. He took off those gloves and started throwing or the mask. Or took off those gloves and started throwing those punches. Uh, look, I'll still go back and walk some of those. Those are some of the best work punches that I've ever seen. And most of them weren't work. What a lot of people don't realize. Yeah, you got through live right. rounds. That's yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, real uh, life, it, the, the truth is though, in real life, Vader Leon was a big sweetheart, man. Yeah. Matter of fact, he, I'll never forget this. He he could get his feelings hurt in the locker room, man, and he would almost be oh. in tears. Um, I've seen him. I remember when I wrestled him. I wrestled him on Monday Night Raw, and this is the match where Cornet didn't want me to slam him. And we got out there, and he started hitting me in the head with them forearms, man. And you talk about live rounds. He would throw them big, big old arms in the side of your head, and um, he threw me off. And I think I kicked him in the balls. And we Ouch. ended up doing a spot where I clotheslined him out over the top rope, and we both went out of the ring. Well, in the process, that mask started coming off, and he freaked out. He was like, please don't take off my mask. Please don't. I could not believe this was Vader that I was listening to. He was worried yeah. about his mask coming off. He just freaked out. Uh, he thought I was going to try to rip off his mask or something. I said, no, brother, you're so worried. Just. It was an accident, but yeah, Vader was a sweetheart, man. He he was Vader. a nice guy, and I will say that WWF probably ruined a large part of his career just okay. because Vince didn't use him the right way, and then a lot of the guys that he worked with didn't work well with him, like the Shawn Michaels. Everybody knows about that Shawn Michaels feud. I want you to talk about Michael. that, dude, because that, uh, that was going to be my next topic of subject. Um because a lot of people don't realize there there are uh, videos out there from Jim Cornette talking about Vader's time with WWF and how Shawn Michaels put a huge 
huge nail in the coffin of Vader's career. Yeah, they were doing a they were working a program together and um you know, Shawn Michaels didn't like cuz Leon Leon did work stiff. I mean, he 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 was snug to say the least in the wrestling ring and Shawn didn't like it and because of that Shawn didn't want to work with him anymore and in a lot of ways he went out of his way to make him look really bad and you know, Vader was in this position where he couldn't do anything about it because Sean was like the golden child at the time. And he couldn't really say anything about it because Sean was like this protected species with the office. That's what I called him. At least you couldn't mm-hmm. mess with him. And uh, so Vader was stuck, you know, whereas if, if somebody pulled that shit in, on Vader and WCW or Japan, he just beat the shit out of him, but he couldn't do that because he was, kind of trying to play the politics the right way, and he didn't want to get himself into trouble for beating the hell out of Shawn Michaels, and Shawn took advantage and made, made him look stupid in a lot of ways, and that, uh, that, yeah, that, that thing didn't end up lasting. That SummerSlam match that he had that Shawn had with Vader, you go back and you can literally point out the spots where Shawn decided that he wasn't going to work well with Vader anymore in that match, and one of them was... Yes, that was the other thing. And, and folks, if you have not heard Jim Cornette talk about this, search Jim Cornette Vader on YouTube and go and listen to it because I'm telling you what, I was literally almost in tears hearing about how they ruined Vader's career because Vader, to me, as a 90s kid, you know, one of the first pay-per-views I saw other than a WrestleMania was Super Brawl, and it was Vader against Sting. And you talk about a, a guy that just, you know, you look at him and you're like, I don't ever want to meet that guy because that guy's scary. And, you know, mm-hmm. I'm a kid, so I'm going to think that. But I remember even growing up as an adult going, man, I ever crossed paths with Vader. That's one That's one guy I don't want to be on the bad side of. Um, well, you know, that was Vader's it, career for a long time. If you think about it, he was this big, bad heel that beat the hell out of anybody he wanted to beat the hell out of, and he had this reputation. See, the wrestling business is and was never filled with true-life tough guys. And a guy like Vader comes through, and he was just kind of beating people up in Japan, and he was beating people around in WCW, and he had this reputation that, just like you're saying, you didn't want to mess with him until one day he came across somebody that was tougher in the back, and that was Paul Orndorff. And Paul Orndorff beat the hell out of him. And from that day forward, it changed Leon's standing with the boys, in my opinion, because people realized, okay, maybe this guy really isn't tough. So from a political point of view in the wrestling business and backstage, people realized they could get away with more with Vader. Um, They could make more political moves against Vader, and nothing would happen. So, and, and I think... The day Paul Orndorff and him had that fight changed the course of his career forever. Um, wow. That's, that's, that's really sad because I met Vader, great individual. Um, I got, yeah, to see him wrestle that, got to see him wrestle that night and do the, the, the Vader bomb and the Vader salt and all of that. It was just amazing. Um, sat front row for it at a, at a decent price point. They charged $10 to come in and watch Vader wrestle and then another 
10 or $20 to get a picture and autograph with him. And, you know, there's not a lot of guys that I say that I've met that have been that humble. Another guy, I don't know if you ever crossed paths with that has uh, always been that humble to me and always been humble when he's come on the program is Jerry Lynn. And that's a guy that had all the talent in the world and been to see him. Because that guy, wow. <laughs> yeah, that guy could, a worker. I never met him, and I've never met him in real life, but I watched him on TV back in those days. And Yeah, he was one of the best guys to come out of ECW. Um, but again... He came out of ECW and then he was misused in other companies. Right. Um, yeah. They they could have done a lot more with him, but they they just he didn't get the opportunity for whatever reasons. And uh, but yeah, he was a, he was always a great worker. Um, yeah. I have met I have met some that were downright pricks. Um, uh, oh yeah. The, the the real reason that I got involved in professional wrestling is because uh, I live in Central Illinois. And there was a company here in the year 2002 that had Road Warrior Hawk. And he was down at the local comic book store. And I was 12 at the time. My, my, uh, my parents had friends at the high rise, which is about a block away. They said, but I'm going down to the comic book store. Okay, Sean, we'll know where you, we know where you're at if we need to come get you. So I walked down there and I need Hawk. And I say, it's a pleasure to meet you. I wish I could see the show tonight. And without even hesitation, he pulls out two tickets. He says, you better be there tonight, kid. Never forgot Hell that moment nice in my life. I never got the opportunity. I've heard the same stories from other people. Um, I never got an opportunity to meet Hawk, but and and I've oh, told Road Warrior you, Animal and I've told uh, Paul Ellering this that the Road Warriors were a big reason that I got in the professional wrestling business in the first place. Uh, and I always regretted that I never got to meet. Road Warrior Hawks. Um, I've seen Joe a lot of times here recently at different conventions and, and meet and greets and stuff, and I'm glad I got the opportunity to meet him and Paul Ellering, but I never got the chance to meet uh, Road Warrior Hawks. But again, by all accounts, one of the nicest guys in the business, uh, very nice to the fans, and always a really cool guy to work with. I can personally vouch for that. Uh, I I I knew Mike for several years. Mike and Joe both uh, worked with him up here in Chicago. In fact, uh, I wound up uh, working what uh, was Mike's last match before he passed away. Um, And the conversations he and I used to have in the back were just, you know, something else. I mean, this was a guy, uh, he he loved his dad. He missed his dad tremendously. And that, and you know, I mean, y'all, you you sit there and you're looking at this, you know, huge muscled guy with you know this, you know, wild haircut and face paint, and he's sitting there, you know, with the most endearing comments about his about his dad. It, it was it was it was just something. And when I got the message that they he passed away, I mean. That was that was like it, it ripped my heart out. It ripped my heart out. You know. Yeah. But um, you know what? Let's let's get on to some a little more pleasant things than that because uh, you're talking about how uh, the uh, fight with uh, Paul Orndorff changed uh, the course of uh, Leon's career. Um, there was an event, and in fact, uh, it's appropriate that uh, last night they first announced that it's uh, going to be back on next week. 
that changed somebody else's career, and you were somewhat involved with that, and that is the uh, King of the Ring. And a uh, and a certain bald-headed guy with the goatee. <laughs> what happened to him that particular night? So let's talk about the story of Duke the Dumpster Drozzy and Stone Cold Steve Austin and King of the Ring. It was funny. We were actually riding together during that pay-per-view we were at probably in some piece of shit rental car Ford Taurus. But um, I just remember out of the blue, Austin was told he was going to win King of the Ring. And he was kind of surprised because I guess it was supposed to be Triple H, but, well, he wasn't just Hunter Hearst Helmsley at the time. And he was involved in the curtain call, so he got, you know, they dumped the plans for letting him win King of the Ring, and they put it on Steve Austin. Um, and interestingly that, you know, I was just, I wasn't on the pay-per-view. I was just standing around kind of waiting for him and watching the show. And during the course of the show, he had a match with, well, I think his first match was with Mark Merrow, wild man Mark Merrow. They had just brought him in. And, and Austin went over on him, but during the match, oh, I think Merrow, Mark Merrow messed up a, Sunset flip or something where he kicked Austin right in the face and with the heel, I think, of his boot and split his lip wide open. So during the pay-per-view, it's still going on. They take Austin to the to the uh, hospital to get stitched up during the show, and they bring him back so he can finish the show. And, of course, everybody knows how the rest of that show went. He won, and then he cut that promo on Jake the Snake Roberts where 316 was born. Um, but the funny thing about that promo is at the time the fans really still didn't know who Stone Cold Steve Austin was. Um, and that was the first time they got to listen to him cut a promo uh, yep. like in his actual cool. real character with his real personality. And it got some good pops. The crowd got behind it, but that was the beginning but that night it didn't seem like such a huge deal, you know, because the crowds were still small then. It wasn't these huge sold-out crowds yet. It was still the lean years, and Austin was just kind of coming into his own and figuring out what he wanted to do and how he wanted to be. But I just remember after the show, when everything was done, you know, I had the car loaded up with a cooler with beer, and we rode on to the next town, whatever it was, and his lip was just destroyed. It had all these stitches or staples or whatever it had in it. and. Oof. All I could do for the rest of the trip was cut cut up and try to make him laugh because every time he he laughed, the stitches wanted to rip apart and it hurt him. So he, he, I kept making him laugh and he kept having to hold his mouth because it hurt too much for him to laugh. Well, I was such an asshole, I just kept making him laugh as much as I could. But yeah, that's what I remember about King of the Ring. Um, it didn't seem like such a big deal, but it, it went on to become this amazing moment that everybody remembers now, but... Yeah, that was uh, that was the beginning of Austin 316. Oh my gosh, that's wild! That's wild. So, oh my gosh. Okay, so we definitely, obviously, we got it. We got to talk. We got. I mean, we we've already talked about Yokozuna and his story. Now we talked about uh, um, you uh, 
cracking Austin up in the in the car after King of the Ring and that. Um, let's 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 talk about. Let's try and talk. Find some other notorious um, types of uh, types of guys, like maybe uh, who cut who cut the worst parts on a on a road trip or in a hotel room, stuff like that. Oh, everybody! It was it, it, during those days they had uh, Metarex meal replacement shakes. Oh, oh my yeah. God! You want to talk about the worst protein farts? Um, it, everybody at some point. I remember one time though, I was riding. It was when I first came in. It was early on. It was somewhere in '94, and and uh, I found myself on the road with the one, two, three kid X Pac. He was the one, two, three kid at the time, Sean Waltman, and mm-hmm. it was during Thanksgiving, and we were on the road for Thanksgiving. And this particular day, we decided to go to Denny's and have Thanksgiving dinner together. And I just remember, after all that, we got in the car, and again, Metarex shakes and everything else. I rolled up all the windows, locked the windows and doors as we're riding down the road, and I just cut the most horrendous fart protein farts in the car and I just remember I was laughing so hard I was trying not to and my eyes were watering I felt, and I was driving I felt like I was going to wreck the car and, and I looked to my right and Sean Waltman's just spit and dip into a cup not even selling it at all he just turns he just turns and looks at me and he goes I don't sell farts just to let you know. And he turned back and we just kept, I was like so dejected that he didn't sell it and uh, opened the windows and let it out. But yeah, that was a far story, but there's been a lot of those too. Yeah. Uh, talk to us about the best rib that you ever saw pulled. The best rib. There's, you got to qualify that. I've seen, Harmless ribs like Owen Hart calling your room in the middle of the night at the hotel, acting like he was the person working for Domino's Pizza and trying to sell you a pizza in the middle of the night until you would get so (laughs) frustrated. And and in those days, he brought on the road with him a telephone answering machine with a little cassette in it, and he would hook it up to his phone in his hotel room so he would record the whole conversation and play it for the boys in the locker room the next day <laughs> that was always oh, God. and he did it with not just other wrestlers he did it with other people staying in the hotel he would just cold call people's rooms out of the blue and tape these long conversations where people were cussing at him saying they didn't want any fucking pizza and uh, so that was like a harmless rib. I've seen guys. That's, I was there for the incident where they shit in Sonny's food tray in Germany. I was there oh for that. Um, I've seen them cut guys' sleeves off a of guy's shirts and pant legs. Like they cut off one pant leg and one sleeve. They did that to Barry Horowitz one time. Uh, uh, I don't remember where that was. Oh my god. Um, and of course, I've seen guys get. H bombed. They would drop a halcyon in their drink, a sleeping pill. Oh my and God! Shave their Those eyebrows are and, Those and are shave not their heads and shave their eyebrows. Yeah. yeah. So I've seen the, you know, the good yeah. harmless ribs and then the bad ribs. I've seen them all. Yeah, one oh halcyon is okay. Two halcyon, you're on your ass. Yeah. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. 
But Owen, oh my gosh! I mean, I I'd heard I'd heard a few stories from some of the guys that you know knew and worked with Owen, but that this this is even more than I'd ever heard before. Wow! <laughs> yeah, and he was always funny, and it was always harmless stuff. It wasn't stuff that would hurt you or, or hurt your career, or you know, he he wasn't cutting people's hair, nothing like that. He, right? Stuff right. he did was harmless. Now, now were you now were you at uh, at the Vatican when he uh, um, lifted uh, Rene Goulet's wallet? No, oh, no, I wasn't there for that. Oh God, that's a story Chris Chavis told me. Um, I'll get, I'll go ahead and I'll give you this one. I've told this one on the air before, but I love it. It is, it is so, it is so classic. There. Yeah, there there was it was during one of the European tours and uh they were at the Vatican and they're uh, taking pictures and so um I guess so I guess uh Owen managed to uh get behind Renee and lifted his lifted his wallet, walked off with oh my God. and and all, you know, and, and, and Renee is reaching to go ahead and pay for something, and he's going, who took my wallet? Who took my effing wallet? I mean, he's he's screaming and cussing right in the middle of the Vatican of all places. Oh, my God. Sounds like something who I stole do. my GD wallet? <laughs> oh my and usually God. stuff like that happens, and we all know. It, there's a very small... Group of the usual suspects: Owen, Davy Boy, one of those guys. You know, those are usually the culprits. But no, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yep, yep. Because I heard also too that uh, um, that uh, Owen even one time actually uh, phoned Brett and pretended to uh, and pretended to be Stu and. Was and was cussing him out on the phone. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> I, be, I believe that. I know he called Stu at one point, acting like a another promoter, and he was cussing at Stu one time. I heard that one too, and uh, oh had God. Stu all riled up, wanting to kill somebody. <laughs> but yeah, those oh, are the kind of Lord. things that Owen did. Oh, oh man, that. That's that's some that's some great stuff. That I mean, you know, the I mean that's the kind of things that when you you know when you talk about Owen Hart, those are the those are the stories that are the ones that get passed around, and I I just I think that is fantastic. And you know, Owen uh, was a quality Owen was a quality individual, a quality mm-hmm. human being. I always like to say. And there wasn't many quality human beings in the wrestling business at that time. I don't know how it is now. But Owen, would he was a prankster and a jokester and all that funny stuff, but he was also a real good person that would go out of his way to help other people in the business. Um, I remember one time me and Owen, we, we were doing a tour in the Philippines, and me and Owen were walking together a couple blocks away from the hotel to go to the gym and in the course of our walking there was these little like shanty towns of little like built up 
you know, cardboard and wood little shacks mm-hmm. built alongside of this disgusting, like, canal that was filled with, like, human waste. And these families were living in these things, and these little kids would walk up and ask us who we were and, and stuff like that, because obviously they didn't watch WWF television. But uh, yeah. this one kid walked up, and he had a huge sore up and down his arm, like an infection. And Owen just reached in his pocket, basically gave him all the money in his pocket. He just handed this kid to him, and he said, here, you know, Go take care of yourself. Buy something nice. Go get you an ice cream or something. And you know, he was just a very giving person like that. He was a, a quality human being. Mm. Mm. Um, wow. Yes, Owen was one of a kind. Truly missed. And um, you know, the the whole thing that happened with him was just tragic. Um, well, we have a friend of ours that. Uh, probably takes rank for one of the nastiest uh, ribs that has ever been pulled that has been told on this program. And that is uh, evidently there was a uh, guy by the name of Eric freedom that used to do some uh, work with WWF. And uh, he was working an independent show and the guy with the ring truck pissed everybody off. So the boys, idea was to open this guy's truck up and smear dog shit all over the vent and oh, not wow. tell the guy. So when he drove the ring back, he had to pull over every 20 miles to puke. <laughs> That's pretty bad. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I would never want to be on the receiving end of something like that. I could only imagine a uh, poor guy in the ring truck. Son of a bitch. Yeah, if you piss now? people off, yeah, if you piss <laughs> off the boys, you're, you're going to have hell to pay, and it's going to be a miserable existence on the road. <laughs> yeah. Damn. <laughs> um, you know, Duke, you, you have been around um, for a long time and didn't get the, the tenure out of WWE that you would probably hope for, but in my mind, you're one of the WWE legends of the 1990s. And there aren't many of those left either. Um, as, as we talked about earlier in the program, there's just not a lot of the um, 90s guys left. The 80s guys, some of the 80s guys are still taken. Uh, but some of those 90s guys, man, some of them look horrible. You've gone to the conventions. Some of them look horrible uh, from all the years of, you know, um, be it steroid use or what, what have you. But, some of these guys are still in amazing shape. You go and look at them, and you're like, Jesus, they haven't aged one bit. Yeah, I mean, at some point, you got to start taking care of yourself. I mean, I fell into that trap as well, um, you know, during during a certain period of my life. Up until about 2015, there was a point there where I got really heavy and out of shape, and I was just unhealthy, and I just decided to make a change. And I started going to the gym, and I got in much better shape, and I take much better care of myself. And obviously, I don't do all the drugs and drinking alcohol anymore. Um, right. But yeah, I've seen I've seen guys on both ends of the spectrum, like you said, at conventions and stuff. Like Billy Gunn is in amazing shape. Yes. Um, Al mm-hmm. Snow oh, yeah. is in amazing shape. These guys, yes. you know, at some point you got to step up and do something because if you don't. It's going to take years off your life if you continue right. to be unhealthy. And 
you, you know, eventually your body is going to catch up with you if you continue to live that lifestyle. And uh, that, that's where guys die prematurely. I mean, if, if you're a professional wrestler and you've reached 50 years old, that's considered old age. You know, right. guys are dying in their 50s and oh. 60s, you know, and younger if they OD and do stuff like that. But, you know, 50s and 60s is considered an old man in wrestling years. That's yeah. Right. Exactly, because yeah. I am in I am in that bracket. I am in that bracket. I'm uh, I'm 62, so I'm definitely, you know, among among that group, you know, a, an old guy, and that's scary to think about. You know, seriously. Um, now earlier this year, uh, or earlier last year, I forget which, because. You know, being a wrestler myself and getting hit with one too many chair shots, the days kind of blur together. <laughs> but yeah. um, you did uh, do an appearance down in Tennessee for um, Ox down at MSWA. Um, yeah. And uh, I got to see footage of that, and that was, boy, it was great to see Duke the Dumpster Drosty again. And that's, uh, I think that's when I saw you resurface, and I was like, my God. And I don't mean to say this in a negative way, but I didn't even know you were still alive. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I did. I just I went off the grid for about twenty-three years. I disappeared completely. I was, I was angry and bitter and resentful and pissed off at the world and definitely pissed off at the wrestling business. So I went away. I disappeared, and it was in uh, two thousand and what year was it? Uh, to finally. This promoter in Tennessee, uh, even before Ox's shows, this guy Scott Hansley got me to come do an appearance at a high school in Saudi Daisy, Tennessee. And it was after that where I got on social media and people really started to respond. So I got more involved in doing the meet and greets and the conventions. And I'm now recently, I've started getting in the ring again uh, in a limited capacity. Um, right. Because. I had my left foot amputated in 2013, so I don't have a left foot, and I'm still getting in the ring, and I'm wrestling and trying to stay in good shape and and all those things. But, uh, yeah, it's been fun, man. And you talk about legends in wrestling and stuff. I don't necessarily consider myself a legend, but if nothing else, um, I can always say I was nice to people in the wrestling business. I was always respectful, and I always tried to be nice to the fans. And, uh, you know, you know, just be respectful. I think that was always important to me. Um, so in that respect, I guess, you know, I do have that as a legacy in my short career. But, yes, I always try to be nice to the fans and other people. If you mm-hmm. could give uh, a few words of advice to the people that are breaking into the wrestling business in 2019, <laughs> what would it be? Uh, make sure you learn from a reputable teacher. Make sure you learn about more than just the wrestling. Learn about promos. Learn about the business. Learn about being in shape and taking care of your body for longevity. Don't be these – yeah, I mean, it's good to have high spots and do high-flying moves, but don't make that the majority of what you do because you'll be more prone to getting injured. You want to take care of your body and last as long as you can in the wrestling business. Um, and, uh, yeah, just that's, that's pretty much it. And have a thick skin, you know, if you can't handle a little bit of rejection, you're never going to make it in the wrestling business. 
because that's one of the big killer things that killed me is, you know, Vince lied to me. He said one thing was going to happen and then it didn't. And I took it personally. Well, he does that all the time. He, he tells you something. He tells the wrestler that these are the plans and then things happen. Live television happens. Situations happen and plans change. And they don't follow through exactly the way he said they would. Well, if you can't handle that, you can't be in the wrestling business. And I was ill-equipped to handle that when I was there. And that's why I left so soon. And it's unfortunate, and I regret it. Um, I I don't hold Vince accountable for that. Vince is just – people ask me what kind of person Vince McMahon is or was. My answer is always the same. He is a shrewd businessman. He does what he has to do to improve his company. Um, and I know there's a lot of debate about that now in the the way that the product is going and this, that, and the other. But um, the reality is, is Vince has always bounced back. He's always changed. He's, he's always found ways to, to, uh, to change what he was doing with the times and be more successful like with the Monday Night Wars and all those other times in history. And uh, I'm sure he'll come out of this, I guess, funk that they're in, that everybody seems to think they're in, um, although they're still making billions of dollars. But, um, you know, that's just the way Vince is, and that's the way the wrestling business is. And my advice is you better have a thick skin because it's a tough business. You know, it's a very tough business if you're not ready and not able to handle a little bit of rejection. Mm. Wow. Wow. And learn how to work on the fly. Holy shit. That's ab- nobody does that anymore. Yeah. Nobody calls anything in the ring anymore. Oh my god, that's a lost art. You know, being yeah. able to go out to the ring, not saying a word to each other and just getting in the ring and having a match. People can't do that anymore. So yeah. but that's kind of yeah, the nature back, of the beast. It's all scripted day, out. Back in the day you knew you knew the finish. And that was it. The rest of it, you just, you know, you, call, you called it out there and that. Yeah, that doesn't uh, happen anymore. So, yeah, I think that's an yeah. important thing to be able to do. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree with you more. That's so true. That, that, and then the other thing that at least to my standpoint, because this is how I was taught, and that is uh, speaking Kearney. Oh, yeah, uh, nobody does that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you, you speak Kearney to somebody, they look at you like you're insane. They're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Or, or, they think, yeah. or they think you're trying to be like a rapper, like Snoop Dogg. Yeah, yeah, because that's uh, where a lot of rappers stole that from uh, the Kearneys and the wrestling business as well, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. Because I mean, yeah, I like I say, I was, I was trained by old school, old school guys, and so I was, I was trained to speak Kearney, and I, and I spoke Kearney in that ring, you know, except where I had to make sure the crowd heard me. Otherwise, otherwise it was Kearney straight out. So. Right. Yeah, um, nobody does yeah. that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, have you got now? Have you got anything coming up that uh, you're going to be doing? Because uh, we definitely want to make sure that uh, we let you, you know, put over any appearances or anything else that uh, you know, people can connect with you here and that. 
Um, I'm st- I'm still basically just taking bookings anywhere, conventions and stuff like that. Um, I just talked to a guy out of Oklahoma um, today. I haven't finalized it, but I basically do bookings through my social media. Um, you can find out where I'm going to be on social media. I do a lot of stuff on Facebook, but I also do Instagram and Twitter. On Facebook, I got um, my private account is just Mike Drosty, where a lot of the stuff happens, um, and then. I have a Duke the Dumpster fan page under Duke the Dumpster right. official. Uh, a lot of announcements come across there. Um, Instagram, Duke, Duke the Dumpster official. And my Twitter is real Duke Drosy. So that's where you can find out what I'm doing and where I'm going. Um, I think my next thing coming up is going to be in September uh, sometime, I think, in Rocky Top, Tennessee, actually, uh, a show mm-hmm. and a convention. But – um, yeah, a lot of the stuff I'm doing is on my social media. I put up posters and uh, and 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 the different advertisements for stuff on there. So if if anybody wants to find me, they can find me there. And that's also where I write my stories on Facebook. I write a lot of road stories and stuff like that as well. So yeah, because it was the Austin story was how we finally managed to uh, get get you to come on, which. No, I've, I've been trying. I've been trying that for for a while, and thankfully you uh, responded and said, "Yeah, let's you know, let's let's do this." And uh, definitely want to thank you for um, for doing that. Yeah, I I mean we really really appreciate it. And yep, there it is. I just uh, I just found your uh, Instagram, so uh, we're going to give. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you yeah, go back on my Facebook and you look way like back it. in the archives, starting in a, probably about October of 2018, is when I started writing stories. Man, you'll see some stories. Cool. I've reposted some of them, but a lot of them are still way back there. Um, so yep. yeah, Excellent. when you get a chance, go back and look at those. Right. Right. And so you and so you've also got your. Own little podcast I see here, uh, talking trash podcast. So well, I had started uh, that. I was doing that with a group out of Georgia. I, I'm not working with them anymore right now, but I'm going to bring back the talking trash podcast, and I'm going to do it on my own. Um, but yeah, I was working with these guys, and we just they had some differences, and I ended up kind of walking away from it. And I'm going to be moving away from this Middle Tennessee area anyway, but I will pick up that talking trash. With Duke the Dumpster Drosy podcast very soon, so you can look out for that on YouTube awesome. very soon and on my Facebook page. Yes, absolutely. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, good. Our, my my good friend Wendy says hello to you, Duke, and she's a big fan. But she wanted to ask hello, her Wendy. opinion. Then why don't, of, why don't you let her come on and ask her own self? She's right okay, there. Okay, let's do that. Okay, I'm letting her on. Come on, Wendy. What do you got to say? Hello, Just Wendy. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Wendy. Are you there? Yes. Okay, sir. I got a question for you. Maybe you would okay. be okay with it. I don't know. Say you went to school with one of the people that are in the business now, and you dress like Hogan then, all in yellow, the red and everything, and you got to school, and the person that's in the business now basically looked at you and said, Hogan's a piece of trash. Uh, the, that 
Oh yeah, I yeah I was like okay, and she is now in the well, business like crazy. Oh well, yeah, there's people like that. Re- unfortunately, go ahead. When Kate. I see her in public, when she's in town or when she's in the same vicinity of me, I try and not to want to hit her. Although I would have well, bail yeah. money from the whole. <laughs> Well, you definitely don't want to go around hitting people, but unfortunately there are people like that in the business and out of the business that have just sour attitudes and and are just unhappy people for whatever reasons. And and that's unfortunate. You should just keep your distance from that person. If if they say something that you don't like, then just stay away from them. Um, You know, I've never personally met Hogan myself. Um, uh, I know that Hulk Hogan is in a lot in large part responsible for everything in this business even up to today a lot of people don't like to agree with that but Hulk Hogan and WrestleMania 1 you are right on that Mm -hmm. there's a large reason I got into the wrestling business WrestleMania 1 was the first time I actually stood up and said I wanted to be a pro wrestler and that was because of Hulk Hogan so you know, he's responsible for a lot of this, regardless of what people say about him and backstage politics and all that bullshit. You know, that's the wrestling business. Um, but without Hogan, I don't think the wrestling business would have been taken to the next level and become so popular with the American public. So uh, everybody's got to thank Hogan. If you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's okay. That's what there I when I was growing up, I loved Hogan. It's the music class. One of our assignments was to pick a song, write out the lyrics, and all the notes to the lyrics. And the song me and my friend Jessica chose was Real American. And we got really? laughed at. I did not care. I didn't care. I was that big a fan. <laughs> well, that's all that matters. That's right. Uh, Duke, we'd well, like to thank you. I know you. it. Go ahead. This Mindy. one okay. CD shop, they had three discs of Hogan's uh, little songs that he did, I bought all three of them. Good for you. Oh. Yeah, he's a musician, a bass player, I, I believe. Yes, he is. <laughs> I'm a bass right player on. myself, so yeah, I, <laughs> always, I always follow up on, on fellow bassists, and yes, he is Ooh. one of them. Duke, <laughs> uh, we want to thank you so much for tonight, uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to accommodate us. And, uh, man, yeah. you had that big picture of that big pizza. Man, that thing oh looks good. <laughs> yeah, I was on vacation last week, man. I ate a big old oh, pizza oh. in, in, in oh Mississippi. God. Man, it was Honey. good. Honey, uh. that pizza that is about as wide as I am tall. Okay, I'm five foot Yeah, it was okay. good, too. It was good for pizza. <laughs> Oh my God. It was good pizza. It would have killed me. It would have <laughs> killed me. All the meds in the world wouldn't have helped. <laughs> I'd be dead. <laughs> yeah, I so plan cool. on going back to Mississippi really soon and eating that entire pizza at once. And oh, I'm going to oh. tape it for my for my Facebook and uh, Instagram pages. I'm going to put it. I'm going to post the video of me eating that entire pizza on my social media very soon. <laughs> oh, there we go. There we go. I love it. I love it. That's, uh, that we, is so good. 
Wendy is actually yeah. a good friend of mine. She's been in the business herself for quite a while. She works security for me when I run events here in Illinois, and uh, awesome. she is uh, she's been a big help to me. And she's had to carry my sorry ass to the back on more than one occasion after I've gotten knocked out. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that's good know, looking that out, says, Wendy. Good you looking out. Says, <laughs> you know what that says? You know what that says to me about you, Sean? You're a pussy. That's what that says to me. <laughs> hey, that's what happened. Wow, <laughs> she just freaking turned heel on you, brother. Holy shit! <laughs> what yeah. Who ever said it? Noise. Noise. Let me tell you something. Yes. When you get an almost 80 year old man with a boxing glove that swings at you at full force because he doesn't know what a work punch is, you'd go down too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're doing a job there. <laughs> Holy shit. That's a job. You're selling whether you want to or not. <laughs> Pretty much. And, and Steve, you know who that punch was from? Mr. Skip. Oh, yeah. Ow. Yeah. Yeah. Ow. He, uh, he, he doesn't. He, he forgets it's a work sometimes. <laughs> uh, so. Believe me. I know he forgets it's a work sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you got to love those kind of people, though, because I tell you what, uh, a real quick story, and then we're going to close up here. I worked a show over in Iowa with this uh, Mr. Skip guy. Good old, good guy. They hired him as a commissioner. He had a lot of energy and stuff. Uh, guy had to be 80. If he wasn't 80, okay. he looked like the old man on one of those old cartoons. Um, oh, my. Bald head, glasses, kind of looked like an Elmer Fudd. Um, so... Uh, we're working a show over in Iowa and I'm working to heal and I come out and I get on the stick and I'm like, old man, I have had it up to here with your shit. And I get to the back and his brother came to the show. His brother oh walks into the back. Nobody stops his brother. Nobody, nobody even saw him come to the back. His brother finds me whack right across the face as hard as he can. Oh, and I thought the locker room uh... was going to kill him. <laughs> Everybody's like, are you yeah, okay? He yeah, I'm okay. Don't kill the other old man. smartened up okay. in the business. <laughs> as, you hold your, as you hold your jaw, you say, it's a work, brother. It's a work. <laughs> yep. Lighten yeah. up. It's yep. not work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, well, I want to thank Duke the Dumpster Drosy for tonight. I want to thank my oh, good yes. friend Wendy. I want to thank my co-hosts Steve and Katie. I want to thank our thank friend you, Billy, and all of our other listeners. Uh, Duke, we're going to have to definitely do this again sometime, uh, oh, very yeah. soon. Oh, and yeah, uh, right. I can, I enjoy continuing to read all the fun stories that you post on your Facebook because some of them, my friend, are downright hilarious. Oh, well, I appreciate it, and I appreciate you having me on the show too, man. Thank you very much. Oh, hey, I appreciate our you. pleasure, man. Thanks, Thanks for so in. much. Thanks for coming so, out, honey. Uh, all right, right, we'll see you. You we'll got it. Soon, you got it. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, right. uh, that was Duke the Dumpster Drosy, and tomorrow oh. night we will be live with Wrestling uh, Authority Radio's review show uh, because well, we, we had a lot of. We've got more than that. We've got more it. than that, Sean. Um, uh, a uh, controversial story hit across my Facebook feed um, while SmackDown was on. So I am bringing an old friend of mine, uh, a uh, former Chicago product, who um, 
worked for our uh, friends at the uh, late lamented Paragon Pro Wrestling. And uh, we're going to have him talk about that along with a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, we're going to have uh, Nathan, Nathan HD, Nathan H. Diaz, who will be joining us tomorrow night. Uh, well, we will be talking about that controversial story. We'll be talking about uh, SummerSlam, NXT TakeOver, Raw, SmackDown, and folks. Uh, we are just about two weeks away, two weeks away from this Saturday is the next All Elite Wrestling pay-per-view. It's all out, and we are going to be all out, and uh, we're going to be all in for all out, I should say. And we're going to see who this first AEW <laughs> World Heavyweight Champion is going to be. We're going to have some AEW news tomorrow night. They've been announcing more and more for their television oh, schedule. Yeah. And, yeah. folks, this thing is going to yeah. get heated up real quick. And uh, yeah. I retracted I retracted the comments I made earlier this year when I said 2020 was going to be one of the biggest years in wrestling. I am now reclaiming that statement. 2020 is going to oh. be the, one of the biggest years in wrestling uh, that we have seen, maybe not money wise, but certainly it's, it, we're going to, we're going to see a lot of new fans, a lot of new fans popping up all over the place with the arrival of AEW mm-hmm. on TNT. And um, hopefully with WWE going a more serious note with SmackDown, maybe we'll see some MMA fans cross over again. Hasn't happened in a long time, right? but it, it needs Triple, to. Triple A, uh, even though right now the ticket sales aren't uh, as good as what they're what they were hoping for, um, but Triple uh, A is uh, making their first ever incursion into the U.S. So with uh, shows at uh, Madison Square Garden and Los Angeles, and of course, uh, well, um, there will probably be uh, more uh, New Japan events coming across as well. So. There's a there's going to be a lot of stuff happening over the next uh, twelve to sixteen months that uh, yes better be ready for because this business is back on fire again. And with that being said, we will see you all tomorrow night. Wrestling Authority Radio live right back here on the Evolution Radio Network, nine o'clock Eastern, eight o'clock Central Standard Time. I am Pacific Sean David along with my co-host. The Dean of Wrestling Referee, Steve Kane. And the reason why the show will never be a bag of dicks. And thank you, Wendy, for coming and making sure that it's a double dose of no bags of dicks. Thanks for coming out, darling. Much appreciated. Well, folks, you know what time it is. You don't got to go home, but you sure as hell can't stay here. Turn off the lights and bring your glasses back to the farm. Good night. Good night, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow night.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.